With the preseason opener just around the corner for the Seahawks, they officially released their first depth chart of the 2022 season. Rob and I are going to be breaking it all down on offense and defense on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked on Seahawks. Joining me for our Wednesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. The Seahawks were back on the practice field in pads today for their ninth training camp session. Plenty of hard hitting, a little bit of emphasis on the run game, tons of takeaways coming away from today's practice, including the best practice so far of camp for Geno Smith, maybe strengthening his lead in that quarterback race just a little bit. We'll get to that later in the show. Now for our lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Up to this point, there maybe hasn't been a bigger surprise for the Seahawks in the first two weeks of camp than the cornerback group, particularly the emergence of rookies Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant. They've had Sidney Jones and Artie Burns starring out there on the field as well. But suddenly this group is looking pretty thin, Rob. Sidney Jones still recovering from a concussion that he suffered last week. And then today, one of the big storylines coming out of Seattle's ninth training camp practice, Artie Burns suffered a groin injury. It did not look good. He was covering receiver during one-on-ones and was sprinting, trying to recover, catch up with the receiver. And he came up lame. You could see him grabbing his leg, favoring his leg. I thought initially it was a hamstring injury, but Pete Carroll said that it was a groin issue. So now you're suddenly down both of your projected starters, the veterans in Sidney Jones and Artie Burns, and they've still got Trey Brown. Looks like he's a ways away, has yet to run full speed, according to Pete Carroll. That sounds to me like he's not close to being ready, even if the coach is trying to make it sound like he is. He might not be able to get off the pup list until the start of the season, And so keeping that in mind, uh, suddenly this group that's looked so good, there are some question marks again just because of injuries. Yeah, that's the thing. That was the big news. Uh, What was the Artie Burns suffered that groin injury, and we just don't know. Uh, Anytime you have a soft tissue, uh, muscle strain like that, then that could be, uh, you know, the course of a couple of days, could be several weeks. Um, Obviously, in a cornerback position where you're going to be asked to turn and explode and change directions as quickly as you are, then that puts your muscles at that much more, uh, you know, under that much more strain. So that is a concerning injury for the Seahawks. And, um, you know, as we talked about, uh, Seattle's rookie corners um, have, have looked terrific. Uh, but at the same time, that's because we have very low expectations. I mean, they're, they're rookies. Uh, they're, you're not expecting them to come in and necessarily compete for starting minutes immediately. And should they be the starters, uh, you know, this, this weekend against the Pittsburgh Steelers in the preseason opener, I, I think you're going to be just fine. I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers have their own issues at wide receiver, at quarterback, obviously. So I think that they'll hold up very well. 
But at the same time, you know, a couple of weeks from now, you're going to be playing up against a pretty familiar quarterback that we all know is pretty darn accurate. He has some receivers on the outside as well. So it is going to be critical for Seattle to be able to get their veteran cornerbacks back uh, because as excited as I am about Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen and just the, the differing and dynamic talent that they possess, at the same time, they are certainly rookies and they are going to have their mistakes. And, and it, the way that Seattle is built, they're looking for a defensive-minded kind of approach, keeping the, the, the score close. You just can't afford any rookie mistakes that are almost certainly to occur on the very first game of the NFL season. So again, this is big news with, with our, uh, with, with Artie Burns going down. Uh, we talked about before with Trey Brown as well, uh, Sidney Jones. I do expect Sidney Jones hopefully to be back in time, hopefully Burns as well. Uh, but at the same time, it is a pretty steep drop-off in terms of experience uh, once you get past Seattle starting two. There's so much to be excited about with these two rookie corners with the way that they've played the first two weeks of training camp. But I don't care what Pete Carroll says about what they have done so far. That would be the least ideal scenario to have to go up against your former starter, Russell Wilson, the weapons that he's got on the outside with a pair of rookie corners playing on the outside. I could see one of these guys starting in week one and Pete Carroll trusting that player being confident, but having to play both of them against a player of Wilson's caliber, the weapons that the Broncos have on the outside and at the tight end position, that would be the least ideal scenario. So Sidney Jones, I think should be back soon. It sounded like from what Pete Carroll said today, that they're hoping in a couple of days to know a bit more about his situation. Maybe he'll be back in time to, to potentially play in this preseason opener. I don't think he would play much anyway, given the circumstances with exhibition games. But getting him back on the field now is especially important because, again, it didn't look good with Artie Burns. And as you mentioned, this could be a groin injury that looked bad, but maybe it heals quickly. Maybe it's a low-grade strain, and he's able to start running around in three or four days. It could also be a situation where this could be a significant strain, and he could miss a month or more. I've seen guys have groin injuries in the NFL and miss extended period of time. It really depends what the MRI would look like, how much damage he suffered, and that will ultimately decide how long it's going to take for him to get back. But you said be so careful with soft tissue injuries because you can re-aggravate them if you come back too quickly. Whereas broken bones, usually there's a set timeline that you're going to be able to make back. So they're going to have to be careful with that. Trey Brown coming back from his knee injury, they're going to have to be careful too. Don't make these circumstances rush you into bringing him back. So you can look at this from two sides of the coin. From a positive perspective, hey, this just opens the door even further for Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant to really cement their status as long-term starters for the Seahawks. Let's just get them in the lineup now, in part because of necessity and in part because they've earned it and they've played well. But again, you don't want Russell Wilson sitting over there salivating like, oh, rookie corners on the outside, two of them. I'm going to have fun today, even with how well they've played. So they're hoping they can get these veterans back. I don't want to make it sound like a dire situation because I don't think that it is. But at the same time, if you can't get Artie Burns back quickly and Trey Brown is on the pup list to start the season, suddenly things are put, looking pretty murky. I will give you one name, though, Rob, another name other than the rookies that may be benefiting from this, and that's Mike Jackson because he's had a pretty, pretty good training camp up to this point. And now he's your number three corner behind the two rookies as long as Sidney Jones and Artie Burns are out. So he's going to get some opportunities to maybe even get some rubs with the ones here as long as those guys are sidelined. 
Yeah, no question about it. I mean, Mike Jackson is in a position to to really help himself. Uh, I think that same thing if, if John Reed can get himself back onto the field. Pete Carroll talked about that, that Reed is out also. And so, again, that just uh, makes it that much more difficult for Seattle to be able just to, to match up, to be able to have practice. If you don't have enough corners, that's obviously going to be very difficult. Um, you know, Justin Coleman, of course, has, you know, mostly been slid, uh, slid inside at that slot and nickel uh, position. Um, that, that's something that Kobe Bryant showed off his versatility uh, during Tuesday's practice, showing that he can do that as well. Um, and, and so, again, I, I'm excited about the upside of these young players. And there's a lot of Seahawks fans out there who are going to say, hey, if this is truly a rebuilding season, why not throw the, the rookies to the wolves and, and see what you have? Learn by fire, so to speak. And I, I certainly understand that mentality. But at the same time, these are young players who have, are used to being able to dominate the competition. They're that just that physically gifted, and they are going to have their bumps in the NFL. That's just the nature of the beast. And when you go up against a team as talented as the Denver Broncos are, um, again, with those receivers, with that quarterback, and that those running backs as well, again, that is the biggest question I have about Tariq Will. And again, Pete Carroll mentioned that during Tuesday's press conference as well, that he has not yet seen – Woolen be able to tackle anybody. That's just the way that preseason is, training camp is. Uh, and that is the thing that scared me the most on his tape. And I would argue is the biggest reason why he dropped where he did in the draft. Seattle was able to get the combine freak that he is where they did. So I'm excited about the possibility. Just those Seahawks fans who are clamoring for those rookies to be on the field, you just got to be willing to, to take a little bit of the struggles with the success because there are certainly going to be a little bit of both. And again, I I am as high on these two young players upside as just about anybody, especially with Woolen and his size, his speed, his length, and Pete Carroll's system. He was tailor-made for this, and Kobe Bryant has been as impressive as any rookie corner I have seen on the field. And I'm in Kansas City right now, Corbin. I mean, I watched the you know former UW corner Trent McDuffie, first-round pick of the Kansas City Chiefs, look absolutely spectacular today. But that's what Kobe Bryant's been doing every single day in practice for the Seahawks. So, again, I, I love the, the youth, the talent, the upside of them. But at the same time, there is going to be some struggles. Ultimately, they're going to be hoping to get most of their corners back, maybe even Trey Brown in the mix before the start of the season. You'd love to be at full strength getting ready to face your former starting quarterback, Russell Wilson. We'll see what happens here. Not going to rush these guys back middle of training camp, but hopefully they'll have Artie Burns and Sidney Jones, maybe Trey Brown back to go with these rookies and this competition can continue. They can get their two best starters going into the regular season. Speaking of starters, the Seahawks released their first unofficial depth chart on Monday, their day off. We're going to take a look at where things stand at each position group on offense and defense heading into the preseason opener when we return. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, and combat sports. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting scores and podcasts. They have you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12 for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on video form five days a week on YouTube. Yesterday, the Seahawks were off, but they released their first unofficial depth chart as they head into their first game week. The Pittsburgh Steelers 
in Pittsburgh on Saturday, their exhibition opener. And Rob, I'm just going to throw this disclaimer out there because we have to do this every year. Just because the Seahawks released this depth chart here in mid-August does not mean that this is who the starters are going to be when they face the Denver Broncos on September 12th. you got to take these depth charts with a grain of salt. Last year was interesting. Most of the starters that the Seahawks had listed ended up being their starters in week one. But going back to the corners, it was a little different story. They had most of the corners that were on the roster at the start of training camp were playing elsewhere by the end of training camp and the preseason. I don't know that we'll see that kind of shuffling at any position groups this August. But certainly, again, take these with a grain of salt. Let's start on the offensive side of the football with the Seahawks depth chart here. And there's really no big surprises. Geno Smith, Pete Carroll announced today he will start their preseason opener against the Steelers. So he is still very much out in front in this quarterback competition against Drew Locke. You know DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are going to be your starters. They have Jake Curhan listed as the starter at right tackle instead of Abraham Lucas. Rashad Penny in the backfield. Damian Lewis, Austin Blythe, Gabe Jackson at the guard spots. And Noah Fant or Will Disley as the starting tight end. So I found that to be fascinating. They haven't necessarily picked one guy as their starter at the position. Nick Ballore is the fullback, even though he really isn't playing that position anymore. They just aren't using fullbacks in this offense. But really, Rob, no surprise with the starters. You can nitpick with some of the reserves. There's certainly some interesting things revealed here if you take this depth chart seriously. But as far as starters go, no real surprises. No, I, I would 100% agree with you. No real surprises. Uh, even at the right tackle position, Jake Curran, um, you know, listed as the starter. I mean, he is the incumbent quarterback position. Geno Smith, he is the incumbent. Um, you know, we, we've kind of talked about this all, you know, throughout training camp that that certainly we expect Abraham Lucas and Drew Locke to make challenges at those positions. Uh, Pete Carroll talked about during Tuesday's press conference that Phil Haynes is pushing Gabe Jackson at right guard, but still also listed at number two. So again, among the starters, even among the second team uh, offense, I, I'm not necessarily surprised. What I am interested in is the fact that you see a guy like D. Eskridge, um, you know, very much listed at the back end of this list, um, you know, and, and so that to me is, is quite the statement. Uh, you know, and it's not unexpected, it's not like the Eskridge has been able to do anything throughout training camp. He has been struggling with that same hamstring injury the entire time, and that's probably where he should be placed. But at the same time, I think that it is important uh, for, again, not only for Seahawks fans, but for D. Eskridge and his representation to recognize that if you don't step up, then step back because the Seahawks have some receiver talent here. Marquise Goodwin is definitely um, you know, turning some heads, and he plays a very similar type of role in Seattle's offense is what D. Eskridge is expected to do. So, again, it is critical if this young man is going to get himself onto the field and prove that his rookie season was the fluke and that he is a legitimate NFL difference maker, then the clock is ticking. Yeah, Pete Carroll made it sound like he could be back any day. Is getting very close. But it seems like we've been hearing that for the last four or five days. So we'll see until he's actually out in the field running full speed. Like you said, the clock is ticking because you do have Marquise Goodwin. You have Dariq Young, who had another really impressive practice today for the Seahawks. And he keeps making things happen in a number of different ways. They like Cody Thompson. They like Penny Hart. Aaron Fuller's a player that's a little higher on the depth chart than I anticipated that he would be here. So you've got a lot of players that think they have a chance to make this roster 
at receiver. You need to get back and give yourself a chance to be able to show what you can really do if you're de-escrewed. So that was one thing that really jumped out to me from this offensive depth chart. Otherwise, though, it really just boils down to those two competitions at right tackle and quarterback. And right now, the pecking order has been set just like it was day one of training camp. Jake Curhan being at right tackle, Geno Smith at quarterback. Their competitors, Drew Locke and Abraham Lucas, are going to have chances to be able to make up ground coming up in this preseason game. And I expect all these guys are going to play extensive snaps at both those positions. But there's not a lot of mystery away from those two positions on the offensive side of the ball. Now, defense, there are some things that I found that were somewhat interesting looking at the depth chart. The starters are exactly as you would expect. We just mentioned Sidney Jones and Artie Burns. They are in the first team on this depth chart, but they're both out injured right now. So that means it's Kobe Bryant and Tariq Wollentine. They are both listed as the number two corners on the left and the right side, respectively. Josh Jones is listed as the number two free safety behind Quandre Diggs, not Ugo Amadi and not Marquise Blair. Both Amadi and Blair are listed as third team safeties on this depth chart. Now, Rob, again, that doesn't necessarily mean that those two are not going to be factors on defense at this point, but I do think that's interesting from what I've seen in the practice field because I think Josh Jones has had a better camp than both of those players by a pretty wide margin, and Pete Carroll made it sound like today like he's in pretty good shape to make this football team. Yeah, that's the thing. That was the big takeaway that I, I had on uh, looking at Seattle's depth chart as well. Is just that, you know, we just talked about that the incumbents kind of were expected to be listed ahead. And so you would have expected perhaps maybe Ugo Amadi to be listed there. Marquise Blair, you can make the same argument for why the Eskridge is basically at the back end of, of the roster because obviously the struggles with durability, the most important ability of any football player, not straight line speed or, you know, or leaping ability or hands, but durability. And uh, and Blair has certainly not shown that. And so that one's not necessarily surprising. But Ugo Amadi has been durable. He hasn't necessarily been very productive, as obviously has been victimized in terms of uh, coverage at times. Um, but at the same time, he has been durable. So this looks more like something that has been updated by the Seahawks based on what they've seen so far in training camp. With Josh Jones, by all accounts, having a spectacular camp. And so he has a set. It is interesting that he, they have him at that free safety position, as you mentioned it. You know, 6'2", 220 pounds. Um, you know, he has more of that frame that you normally kind of associate with that strong safety position. And, and I would argue that the Miami free agent, Bubba Bolden, undrafted free agent, yep. him being listed as number two strong safety is interesting in itself also. Um, so to me, that is kind of the, the biggest news here looking at this depth chart. I, I know everybody's going to focus in on the offensive side of the ball, and that makes a lot of sense. But I thought that there were some surprises in the secondary that suggest that Seattle is very much paying attention to what's going on in the field and, and suggest that maybe Carl Scott and Sean Desai have a little bit of pull um, and, with what they are doing on that side of the ball. There also could be some gamesmanship here too, Rob. And as I mentioned, you got to take these with a grain of salt because – Everybody that I've talked to still believes that Marquise Blair can be a difference maker for this defense. Now, he's had kind of a quiet training camp. And like I said, he's been playing with the third stringers a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So he's going to have to fight his way back up the depth chart. And he hasn't done anything to suggest that he's going to do that to this point. Ugo Amadi missed a couple of practices, and he's been playing with the third stringers. So when you have Josh Jones coming in and seizing the opportunity the way he did late last year, and now he's carried that over into training camp. This guy was a second round pick for a reason. 
that athleticism at that size gives him the ability to play both safety spots, play a third safety role on defense. We know Sean Desai wants to do that. So that was maybe the biggest thing that jumped out to me. But otherwise, you know, not a lot of surprises necessarily. Most of the starters are the guys that we have seen on the practice field that have been with the first team. Guys like Shelby Harris and Puna Ford playing the defensive end positions in a 3-4 defense. Al Woods, the monster in the middle. Brian Monet being behind him with the second team. And having Boye Mafe with the second team, along with Alton Robinson rushing the passer. Tyreek Smith has not been healthy enough to be able to solidify his standing on the second team. He's looked good when he's been on the field, but now he's dealing with another hip injury. So who knows when he is going to be back out there. He's missing his chance to really show what he can do. So these preseason games on both sides of the ball are going to be big. Those second and third teamers battling for only a handful of spots on the 53-man roster. Expect some of these depth charts to change over time. Maybe not being revealed by the Seahawks necessarily, but expect there's going to be some changes moving forward at some of those key position groups, especially with some of the injuries that have taken place on Seattle's cornerback group. Coming up next here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast, switching gears from the depth chart to takeaways. From Tuesday's practice, Seahawks had a day off and then returned with pads on. And as we do every single time we cover these practices, Rob, when you're trying to replace a legend like Russell Wilson, quarterbacks are always going to be the first headline. And going into this practice, Drew Locke had a lot of momentum coming out of that mock scrimmage game on Saturday. He finished with nearly an 80% completion rate through a touchdown, led three scoring drives. It really was the first time in this entire camp where it felt like he really made up significant ground on Geno Smith. And yet, just as much today, it felt like Geno Smith was able to take back some of that momentum in a big way. It, it was Geno Smith striking back today on the practice field. 11 for 14 in the team session. He threw three touchdowns. The first one, the work was done by the receiver. Just a bubble screen out to Marquise Goodwin. And then you can see that 4-3 speed that Marquise Goodwin still very much has. Ripping through the defense, goes for a 15-yard touchdown in the red zone period. Two plays later, fires a missile to DK Metcalf on a slant for a touchdown. And then the best throw that Geno Smith has made all of training camp happened near the end of practice. A split safety look, looked off the safeties, got him widened out a little bit, and then threw a perfectly thrown uh, skinny crosser route, skinny post route, to Marquise Goodwin, who split those safeties. He hit him in stride for a 35-yard touchdown. So this really was Geno's most complete afternoon, and he needed it with the momentum that Drew Locke made up. And now getting that boost that he's going to be the starter in the first preseason game, he was able to strengthen his hold a little bit on that number one quarterback spot. Yeah, I think that that's the that's the beauty of Geno Smith is, is that he is steady. He, he is consistent. Uh, you know, the you – know, Statistically, he wasn't as impressive during the the mock game. But if you go back and watch the you know watch some of the, the throws, and, and Pete Carroll said the same kind of thing that uh, you know you, you saw some high high caliber throws uh, from Geno Smith in that game that, that again just did not translate into points or impressive statistics. Um, I think with Drew Locke, you are going to have some peaks and valleys. I, as I've argued over and over again, I think that he is the more gifted, more talented player. Uh, but Geno Smith is the steadier player. And so I, I'm, 
I'm happy for Virginia Smith, for him to come back and, and to show who he is, to kind of take that punch, uh, you know, and to be able to come back swinging again, I, I think just kind of shows the resiliency that has made him such a respected player, um, not only by Seattle's coaches, but just as importantly by the Seattle's player, the rest of his, his teammates, you know, and, and so to me, that was not unexpected. Um, and I, I don't know that it necessarily had anything to do with uh, with Geno Smith being named the starter. I thought that that was going to be expected that he would be the starter going into the Steelers game. And and frankly, I expect him to be the starter going into the next game um, unless he absolutely has a horrific showing. Um, I think if Drew Locke is going to be able to seize this job, it's going to take some time because I just don't think that it is as simple as one player is infinitely better than the other. I think you're talking about two quality players here one of them has the higher upside but at the same time also is a little bit more prone to mistakes and kudos to drew lock for not having some of those kind of frankly brain fart kind of throws that we saw that very first day of training camp he certainly looked good during the game it's the mock game uh, but at the same time again i think that geno smith's experience his willingness to attack all levels of the field was on display on during tuesday's practice you mentioned the players that made the big plays for him dk metcalf and marquise goodwin obviously those are starting caliber players for seattle um you know and the fact that he was able to kind of end his day with exclamation point the big throw down the middle as you talked about and drew lock as good as he was was unable to do so, misfiring on that deep ball to Bo Melton during the mock game. So, again, kudos to the veteran Geno Smith. That's why he is the number one guy on the roster at this point. Yeah, it's been the consistency. It's been the steadying presence that he is running Shane Waldron's offense. And I don't want to sit here and say that Drew Locke had a bad day necessarily. He completed 9 out of 14 passes. He didn't get help from his receivers sometimes. DK Metcalf dropped a deep ball from him and that could have maybe changed the complexion of the afternoon for him but ended the day with no touchdown passes compared to the three that were made by Geno Smith and so overall number seven had a significantly better day and was able to get some of that momentum back all eyes are going to continue to be on both these quarterbacks my eyes gravitated to the backfield understandably so the running back background that I have I thought this was one of the more interesting responses that Pete Carroll had in today's post-practice press conference because I wanted to kind of ask about this. It just seems like all the running backs are playing with more physicality in these training camp practices than what we have seen in some time. Rashad Penny is playing with his pads more. You're seeing the same thing from Ken Walker III in his first training camp. He's showing off his physicality, his strength. But really, the two that have personified this more than anybody have been the two former Hurricanes, and man, they looked like they were Hurricanes hitting the beach today with the way that they were smacking defenders with the ball in their hands. DJ Dallas and Travis Homer were two of the most impressive players on the field at today's practice, and really, they both have had good training camps, especially DJ Dallas, oh, aside from being ejected from the practice last week, but otherwise, he's had a very strong, consistent camp, and that's why he is on the second team right now right behind Ken Walker III on the depth chart ahead of Travis Homer. But it's a very close race there. Homer was stonewalling guys in their pass protection drills, so he's in midseason form on that. He and Thomas Rawls are the two best pass protectors that I've seen in person at Seahawks training camp practices from a running back position. Just two guys that are physical, have the right mindset, play with great technique. So Homer's continued that. I thought DJ Dallas looked fairly good in that drill as well. So he's made strides as a pass protector can catch the football, but both these guys ripped off multiple runs of 15 plus yards. And I think it's 
easier to evaluate these players in padded practices because the defense isn't tackling them, but there's enough physicality that you can see which running backs are standing out. And then there's the ability to run through arm tackles and things of that nature. Both these guys look really good. They were decisive. They made great reads and they were patient. There was one power play guards coming across as a puller blows up the defensive end and Travis Homer just turns on the jets right behind that block, set it up perfectly and then raced for a 20 plus yard gain. So I thought both these guys had really impressive practices today, played physically played smart, great ball carrier vision, and they played well in the pass protection drills. Seattle's got to like the group they've got in the backfield right now, top to bottom. Oh, absolutely. I think it's one of the strongest positions on on their team. Uh, you know, obviously you're, and the Seahawks are hoping that Rashad Penny continues his success and, and Ken Walker as well. Um, and, and so when it's all said and done, I don't know that DJ Dallas, Travis Tomer, or either one of them are going to be playing a, hugely significant role for the Seahawks from a statistical standpoint. But who cares about the statistics? This is more about the team. And and both of those players in Dallas and Homer are, are very well-rounded players that, that fit in very nicely, not only in terms of like the third down duties, as you mentioned, in terms of pass protection, the receiver, but on special teams as well, where both of them are accomplished players, uh, you know, almost unprompted. Pete Carroll has talked about DJ Dallas a couple of different times this year, and he's done the same thing with Travis Homer in the past. To me, kind of going back to your initial point about the running backs just kind of playing harder, running harder, more physical. I, that was kind of the, the feedback that I received to, uh, on Tuesday about the practice is I almost wonder if there wasn't a little bit of tongue lashing going on after the Seahawks often struggled as much as they did in the so-called third quarter of that mock game. And I thought that there would be a possibility that Seattle's offense would come out running the football and trying to set the tone. Um, and, and so it was. it's good to know that that's exactly what happened. Because, again, if, that's the, if this team's going to have any type of success in terms of wins and losses, they're going to have to be able to control this line of scrimmage. They're going to have to be able to, to basically set the tempo with their running game. And so it's good that it wasn't just their – likely to be starters and Penny and Walker doing that, that it was Homer and uh, Dallas that were also setting the tone. Now going to the defensive side of the football, DJ Dallas, one of those mid-round picks from that 2020 class that we talked about on yesterday's show that has a chance to really be a foundation for this team. Maybe we should be talking a little bit more about the fifth round pick that came from that draft class, Alton Robinson. And you and I both wondered where he was going to fit in on this defense, going from a 4-3 to a 3-4. And he has emphatically put those questions off to the side the last three or four practices. I thought he got up to a slow start, didn't even realize 98 was out there half of the time. But then the pads came on, real football started. And today was the most impressive practice that I've seen Allen Robinson have in a Seahawks uniform. He was borderline unblockable at times today, particularly in the run game period, which is interesting because he's leaner. He's lost 10 to 15 pounds to be better equipped to play that outside linebacker spot. He's in the two, low 260s range instead of 270, like he was his first two seasons in the league as a 4-3 defensive end. But he almost looks stronger at that weight. He was bullying offensive linemen. There were back-to-back -back plays in the run game period. One of them, he just rocketed through the C-gap showing off his explosive first step, and he got to Travis Homer two yards in the backfield. Very next play, he bottles up DJ Dallas at the line of scrimmage, and 
wrapped him up, and then he let him go after that because you can't tackle him. But he had him stonewalled there, and he won that time by taking Greg Island. And, yeah, it's a backup guard, but still a big dude, and chucking him to the side, making him look like a bag of flour. So he did that. He had a couple really promising pass rushes. He beat Abraham Lucas around the edge for a pressure on Drew Locke during the team period. So I thought that he was borderline unblockable today, and that is a great development for the Seahawks because especially with Tyreek Smith battling some injuries early here in his first training camp, if they can have Alton Robinson emerge as a quality rotational piece that can play every down at the outside linebacker spot, can stop the run, and he's able to show he can drop back in coverage occasionally, that is going to help this group keep all those guys fresh and you keep your pass rushers fresh get him a much better chance in all four quarters to be able to turn up the heat on the opposing signal caller. No, no question about it. I mean, we, we've talked so much about Seattle's quote-unquote big three pass rushers, of course, in, in, in Taylor, Nuoso, and Boye Mafe. Um, and, and so, yes, if Alton Robinson is able to turn it up, um, the way that he did it at Syracuse at times, I mean, he was pretty inconsistent at Syracuse. It's another reason why he fell to the fifth round. You know, he had, I believe it was his sophomore season, he had 10 sacks. But he had five the year before that and four uh, before the Seahawks wound up drafting him. And so it is that kind of up and down. It's kind of similar we talked about with Drew Locke, similar we talked about with the field goal kicker, Jason Myers. Is it an odd year, an even year? It's kind of how you can predict if Jason Myers is going to be right on accurate. Well, the same thing maybe here without Robinson. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about that the that he was one of those guys that we were a little concerned about with uh, the you know possible transition to a different type of role in, in this defense, and would he be able to handle it? It sounds like he has kind of embraced that challenge. And as you talked about that, he is in better shape. He's looking quicker. Um, very different than what we talked about with LJ Collier, how, how it looked like he needed to bulk up to take advantage of what made – him a difference maker for all Robinson. I think he needed to slim down. He needed to be a little bit quicker. And it sounds like he is doing that. I am encouraged by the fact that, as you mentioned, that his play is not only against the pass, that he's also making plays against the run as well. Not just getting pinning his ears back and going after the quarterback, but again, being a full-time defensive player. If he can do that, that outside linebacker position, then I think that he's got a, a spot on this roster locked up. I think at this point, he's already reached that cement status. I think he's going to be on this football team. The question is going to be, where does Tyreek Smith fit if he's healthy? Alden Robinson has been healthy all of camp, and he's looked really good with the pads on. He had a pretty good scrimmage as well on Saturday. So he's really put his best foot forward, and hopefully he can continue doing that because, as you mentioned, consistency is an issue. One other thing that I was encouraged by today, and we are not going to know how the Seahawks are going to truly use Jamal Adams until the real bullets start flying on September 12th. The Seahawks are not going to be giving away their playbook and training camp practices, and they're certainly not going to be doing it in preseason games. I'll be surprised if Jamal Adams plays a single snap in any of Seattle's preseason games, especially with the hand injury that he has. I, I think they're going to be very cautious in that regard, and they're going to wait till the real games to get him back on the field. But – Man, was I tantalized today, seeing what the Seahawks were doing with him. He had his first sack in training camp and just rocketed off the edge, patented Jamal Adams blitz. And you can laugh at the moniker Blitz Boy. I know plenty of people have made that a joke with Jamal Adams, but like I consider it a compliment. Like, this guy is the best blitzing safety in the NFL in terms of rushing the passer if you use him correctly. The big problem this team had last year, Rob, is they were – very predictable with how they were sending him. He was always rushing off the edge. Opponents knew it. And it's easy to block a 214-pound safety when you know when he's going to blitz and where he's going to blitz from. 
but they were moving him around a lot. They've been doing this. He's been playing some as a second linebacker in their dime packages. They had him sugaring the A gap a couple times and came on a blitz day, which I thought was exciting because they never did that last year. They're moving him around, and I expect they're going to do more of it in actual game action. But seeing him get that quick sack where Geno Smith was under fire immediately, some of the other blitz schemes that they were trying to dish out, even just in practice, to me, that is extremely intriguing when you consider Sean Desai's imprint on this defense, how aggressive he's been, what Clint Hurt wants to do as the defensive coordinator, maximizing Adam's skill set. I think there's reason to be very excited, as long as you can keep him healthy, about where he's going to fit into this team's pass rushing plan as a blitzer, using him more exotically this season. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on all of those points. I mean, A, I don't expect Jamal Adams to play in the preseason. B, I am extremely excited about the versatility that Seattle's defensive staff has shown so far. Uh, with the mock game, uh, I talked about it before. I mean, they were doing some pretty exotic looks and dropping some guys and, and moving some rushers around, uh, you know, challenging their tackles. And so I, I, I'm excited about what Jamal Adams and the possibility of multiple safeties, uh, multiple rushers at the same time. I, I'm excited about what that might bring to the Seahawks. And, you know, again, I mean, this is all kind of comes down to are you going to be able to win regular season games and obviously the opener is against Russell Wilson the Denver Broncos and longtime Seahawk fans know that Russell Wilson can struggle when he sees pressure in his face immediately and as you said there is not a better blitzing safety in the league than Jamal Adams so yeah I think that the Seahawks are just kind of tinkering around with some different ideas they are certainly not going to be showing anything to the media, to the Pittsburgh Steelers, to the rest of the league, uh, you know, about what they really have in store um, for that opening game. But at the same time, I think that they have at least kind of given you enough of a peek to make you maybe wonder what kind of uh, creativity are they going to be able to bring. They, I, think, I think because of that, it, it just makes Seattle's defense that much more unpredictable, that much more dangerous. What they've really been doing, Rob, they have been giving us an appetizer sampler. Yep. A little bit of this, a little bit of that every single practice. And this is really the first time that I've seen Jamal Adams blitz a bunch and they were mixing it up. So they're not giving us the entire full course meal. But just here's a couple little snippets of an appetizer and we'll we'll just keep you interested, keep you hungry, wanting more. And then when they get to the regular season – I'm really, I'm really excited to see what they're going to end up doing with him because I still think Jamal Adams can be an absolute game wrecker, but you have to use him right and maximize his skill set. That is going to be, I've said it for weeks, I've said, actually months, that is going to be a defining thing for this new defensive coaching staff. Can you get the maximum potential out of a healthy Jamal Adams? If you can do that, your defense has a chance to be really good with some of the other pieces they have on all three levels. If you can't figure that out, you've got a really high-priced toy that you aren't maximizing. It's tough for your defense to play close to its potential when one of its best players is not able to do so in the confines of your scheme. So this is going to be a storyline to continue watching on the defensive side of the ball, how they use him. But I'm very intrigued based on what I've seen on the practice field, particularly on Tuesday. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at CorbinSmithNFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang as well. Check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. We've got a double dip coming up on Wednesday. We'll have a bonus episode, Wager Wednesday. I'll be joined by Tyler Fornes. We'll be checking out a few team props for the Seahawks 
heading towards the 2022 season. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.